At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Labs, I know you weren't able to go up to Buffalo this past Sunday, but did anybody bring any wings back for you? Did they do you that favor? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Not the response I want. No. No. (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know. There's some good wings in Pittsburgh, too. I think so, too. Uh, you know what? Buffalo may be a little overrated, but not at football, just at Winks. <laughs> not, not in football this year, that's for sure. Got a ton of questions to get to, and let's start with Dave Sarp from Wilmington, North Carolina. And Dave, congratulations to you because you, my friend, have kept the quarterback question streak alive to start the Asked and Answered podcast. Dave asks, I sort of remember when – or I sort of remember that the Steelers did not want to start either Terry Bradshaw or Ben Roethlisberger right away, but circumstances beyond the control of the respective head coaches changed that. Am I right? Well, let's start with 2004 um, and Ben Roethlisberger because, you know, I was actually here for that or there for that. Um, You know, Bill Cowher opened the season with Tommy Maddox as the starting quarterback, and really – I don't know that there's any real way to determine how long he would have stayed with Maddox had Maddox not been injured in the season's second game. Uh, that was the game against the Ravens in Baltimore. So uh, Bill Cowher, yes, definitely um, did not was was not going to uh, use Ben Roethlisberger right away. I mean, because even in that opener, now the Steelers won, it was against the Raiders. Uh, Maddox was mediocre in that game. And that's being kind in my opinion, but the Steelers won. And so, you know, he'd been the starter all through 2003, uh, won the opener. So I, I'm just, you know, the way coaches, uh, usually act, you know, if you're winning, you stay with what you're, you're winning with. So, um, that's the, uh, 2004 story. Now in 1970, uh, Chuck Noll had a totally entirely different approach, you know, Bradshaw, came to the Steelers as the first overall pick of the 1970 draft because the Steelers were 1-13 in 1969. So uh, it wasn't one of those situations where, you know, let's stick with a quarterback who's winning for us because, 
There was no such thing. So Bradshaw started the first four games in 1970. Uh, he was, and then the way Noel used utilized this or handled the situation, let me put it that way, was, you know, Bradshaw started pretty much all the time. There were a couple of games that he didn't, but he was the he was the primary starting quarterback throughout his rookie season. But he would get pulled uh, in games for performance because, you know, let's not forget in fourteen games, the nineteen seventies, the. Um, Regular seasons were 14 games. Bradshaw threw 24 interceptions in 14 games. So, you know, I don't know that you could quite uh, almost average two interceptions a game uh, as a rookie starter and continue to keep your job. Um, but that's what happened. Um, you know, Terry ha- uh, Bradshaw started eight games, didn't necessarily finish all of them uh, because of the poor performances I mentioned. Terry Hanren, he did, started the rest, who was, and he was a second-year guy in 1970, but he didn't necessarily finish all of them either because of poor performance. Mm. Um, but at no point was Noel um, indicating by his actions that he was wanting to bring Bradshaw <laughs> along slowly because then the following year, Bradshaw started 13 of the 14 games, and then in 1972 he started all 14 games. So uh, it was pretty much um, – Terry Bradshaw or bust as soon as the team made him the first overall pick. Clint Simmel from Holt, Michigan asks, I was wondering about the history behind Gabe Rivera. I remember he was in a very bad car accident, but did he ever play in the regular season? Whatever happened to him, if you know? Yeah, um, Gabe Rivera, um, he lives in Steelers history as the guy uh, the team picked in the first round instead of Dan Marino. Um, He played his college football at Texas Tech. Uh, As a senior there in 1982, Rivera was a consensus All-American and was voted Southwest Conference Defensive Player of the Year. Um, You know, his nickname at Texas Tech was Senor Sack, which might be a little insensitive uh, by today's standards, but that was his nickname in college then. So, yeah, for the Steelers, uh, Rivera played, um, you know, Noel, again, was not a guy who, you know, brought players in to have him sit on the bench. Uh, Rivera uh, played six games in his rookie season. He started them all. Uh, he reco- he had two sacks, and he was coming on um, towards the end of that six-game stretch. He was starting to give the Steelers the kind of pass rush from a nose tackle spot that really was kind of unusual for that era. Yeah. So, you know, who knows – what Gabe Rivera would have become because on October 20th, 1983, he was involved in a one-car accident, left him paralyzed, quadriplegic. Uh, Rivera then died on July 16th, 2018, from complications associated with that paralysis. So it's a sad, uh, sad situation all around. I'm a toddler, as you know, Lab, so I never got to see Gabe Rivera actually play at college or the little stint in Pittsburgh, but I've seen film, the 30 for 30, Elway to Marino. He's featured on that with the Steelers picking him. He was going to be something special, at least in my mind. Labs, he was galloping down the field like a stallion in some of the films I was seeing, tracking running backs down 40 yards down the field for a nose tackle. Yeah, I mean, again, he had you know a rare athletic ability – you know, for because you know in those 
uh, days in the eighties, you know, nose tackles were right, exactly, you know, just big guys, you know, I mean, hold the, hold the point. Uh, but Rivera, and they often came off the field, uh, if in passing situations, but Rivera, he didn't, and he could pass rush. He could run. Um, you know, one of the things that Dan Rooney told me years later was that, um, a reporter, uh, John Clayton, who went on to some, uh, Sounds well, familiar, more than yeah. a little, more than a little bit of fame at ESPN, uh, was covering the Steelers at the time because Clayton was from, uh, Pittsburgh and, you know, he was, um, you know, maniacal about, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And he told Dan Rooney as in the early part of the first round, and he had learned, Clayton had learned who the Steelers wanted to pick if he was there. And Clayton told Dan Rooney that you can get Rivera on the second round. Pick Marino first and you'll get them both. And so Dan Rooney said in one of the biggest mistakes of his professional career, he told Chuck Noll that, but he told Noll that Clayton had suggested it, which immediately ruled uh, it out. He'll take that advice from you, but not if he hears it's coming from John Clayton. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Lars Rasmussen from Copenhagen, Denmark, going across the pond for this one. In the story on Steelers.com about Franco Harris's jersey being retired, you explain that no player has worn number 32 since Franco Harris. Are there other numbers among the Steelers' greats of the 1970s that have not been worn since those days? Uh, okay, Lars, I'm going to expand your uh, expand your question a little bit to include um, all the jersey numbers of Steelers Hall of Famers that have not been worn since that particular individual's career ended. Okay, that'd be number 12, that's Bradshaw. Number 36, Jerome Bettis. 43, Troy Polamalu. 52, Mike Webster. 58, Jack Lambert. And 63, Dermonte Dawson. And I don't count, you know, a player on the practice squad wearing a number you know, at practice right. because, you know, that just doesn't count. You have a feeling it might be a little bit of time before we see another number seven on the field? Probably. <laughs> I think that's safe to Probably. assume. Probably, yeah. Robert Yeager from Canyon Country, California. I read your list in the September 29th asked and answered about the jersey numbers not assigned anymore. Why have Lynn Swan's number 88 and John Stallworth's number 82 been constantly assigned? Aren't they considered some of the all-time greats of the team? It seems a little disrespectful to them, especially after all their accomplishments in their Super Bowls. Okay, well, only recently um, did the NFL, ex you know, they, the NFL uh, actually some time ago came up with rules to help officiating um, that players at certain positions had to wear certain numbers, right. certain in, in the range. Okay, so... It was only recently that the NFL expanded um, what numbers that wide receivers can wear, you know, into single digits and into the teens. And, you know, tight ends then also into the 40s. So th th there was a time when, you know, all tight ends and all wide receivers had to be in the 80s. So there was just no way for a team to be able to outfit uh, players all the players at those positions with jersey numbers in the 80s if they didn't use if the Steelers didn't use 82 and 88 
So, I mean, it, it, it just became, you know, it was a rule. Uh, there's only, you know, um, 10 numbers in the 80s, 80 to 89. Um, so, you know, it's, it was just, that's just the way it worked. No disrespect meant. None at all. Pat Firemuth and Steve Sims are the ones that currently wear number 82 and number 88 for your Pittsburgh Steelers. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Todd Walter from Cary, North Carolina. You left out Jack Ham's number 59 in answering the question about jersey numbers no longer assigned to players. I'd clean that up to avoid a disrespect scenario towards a great linebacker. You know, I really love when um, <clears throat> I get <laughs> called out on a, a fact that I actually had right. So this is for you, Todd. Um, in 1983... First round of, or third round of the NFL draft in 1983, the Steelers picked a guy from San Diego State. He was a linebacker. His name was Todd Seabaugh. Now, I understand you may not have heard of him because <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people, Steelers fans, who have never heard of Todd Seabaugh, and that's because uh, he only lasted one year with the Steelers and one year in the NFL, his rookie year. Seabaugh, when he reported to the Steelers or whatever, um, he wore number 59. He wore it the whole year. And so, um, as I always tell Pursuta, I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> Boom, Todd, in your face. <laughs> Can you address the rumors, though, that Seabaugh only lasted a year in the NFL because Jack Ham met him in a dark alleyway one night and beat the number 59 off of him? <laughs> um uh, I cannot confirm or deny the rumor. However, that was... the fifth on that. No, 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 in Jack Ham style, that was uh, that's not the way he would have operated. He probably would have talked him out of it or convinced him that it was in his best interest not to wear it anymore. But Jack Ham wasn't the now, if it was 58, I was just gonna say, if it's the other Jack, <laughs> yeah, uh, Rich Ballantyne from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, consistently inconsistent, officiating is one of your peeves. I somewhat agree, but I'm still amazed by what they get right. I expect that somewhere one can find statistics on percentage of overturned calls via replay for those calls that are subject to review. But does the NFL conduct post-game reviews of calls and non-calls of judgments like holding and pass interference to further guide officials? If so, is the information public? <laughs> um, uh, Rich, uh, there's a lot of things about NFL officiating that you're never going to know. Here's one, the age. How old are they? Yeah. Good luck finding that out. Um, let me say this. Yes, there are, the league does review games. 
Um, and one of the reasons that I know this for a fact is there are a lot of times when uh, players get fined for stuff that they did on the field that would, did not draw a penalty flag. So obviously the league is looking at that stuff and determining that that should have been a penalty and then is deserving of a fine. Now, a lot of times um, they will also find something that drew a penalty, but when they find something that did, that did not draw a penalty, that proves to me that there is some sort of review you know, of game footage in terms of what was called and what wasn't called. Now, officials are assigned uh, playoff games, postseason assignments are based on grades. <clears throat> and those grades are given um, by the league office. Obviously, I'm not included in those grades <clears throat> or nobody would pass. So, uh, but yes, there are grades and those grades are used to determine postseason assignments uh, in terms of making that information public. Uh, I think, Rich, you got a better shot of finding out Roger Goodell's social security number or seeing his tax returns than you have of seeing those grades. You might not see the grades, but every week it's true that a team sends in things that they saw in their game and says, hey, I don't think oh, this yes. call is right. I don't think that call is right. And then sometimes they will get an official apology from the league. Oops, are bad. Yeah. You know what that's worth? Nothing. Nothing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Darren Posey from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The offensive line has been performing better on run blocking, creating seams and holes at a more consistent rate. But it doesn't seem as though Najee Harris is seeing the whole field, too often following the blockers instead of seeing the openings. What would you think of giving Jalen Warren more touches? Well, let me start with this, Darren. I do kind of agree with you in terms of um, Najee Harris not always getting as much out of a running play as what the blocking might indicate. Um, now I don't know if he's well, – I don't know why. Is he not seeing a hole? Is he running the wrong way? Is he following the blockers? I, I don't know. So uh, I can't confirm or deny that, but I do agree with you to some degree that what is being blocked is not necessarily showing up in terms of yardage gained. But my suggestion is how about work with the number one pick on improving mm -hmm. this area rather than giving more carries to the undrafted rookie. That just seems to me to be the best utilization of resources. Andy Garber from Wheeling, West Virginia. What are the length and the terms of Mitchell Trubisky's contract? Uh, okay, Mitch Trubisky, uh, soon after free agent began last March, he signed a two-year deal. Uh, reports are that the total is $14.285 million. Uh, that uh, amount included a $5.25 million signing bonus. He gets paid in base salaries, $1 million in uh, this season, $8 million in 2023. Uh, there also are incentives in, involved. Um, I don't know specifically what those are right. or how much they pay, but that's pretty much the, the length in terms of Trubisky's contract. Abe Truda from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania asks, can you confirm if Chuck Noll once said that the way to build a good team starts by having some losing seasons? The rationale was that it lands you in a better draft position in order to take top picks. Nah, I've never heard that um, from attributed to Chuck Noll. Doesn't sound like something and he'd I, say. 
Exactly. That that was going to be was going to be next out of my mouth. I I don't believe that Chuck Noll would say something like that. That's not how he was wired. That's not why he was hired either, because that was not how Dan Rooney was wired either. Um, you know, there were times in the um, Bill Cower era, as an example, late in Chuck Noll era, where the teams were struggling uh, with, excuse me, sub five hundred records. And Dan Rooney was always vocally adamant against, you know, using um, quote-unquote meaningless regular season games to see what the young players could do or to try this guy or to try that guy or any of that other stuff that, you know, you usually use uh, or what you use the preseason for. So, um, you know, I, I, I no, I, I, I wouldn't believe it uh, unless – you know, Chuck Noll would somehow um, come back from the grave and tell me that he, in fact, he did. Um, <laughs> that would be I, I just, I, yeah, it would scare me too. Both, <laughs> both of those things would scare me. I don't know which one would scare me more. I mean, like, the man would put the starters back in in preseason games to try to win right. them. <laughs> I mean, yes, I mean, yes. I don't think tanking and getting a better draft pick was on the forefront of his mind. Ronald Wall from Shady Valley, Tennessee, has our final question today. And he asks, am I mistaken? But there was a play in the Thursday night game in Cleveland that puzzled me. I thought when we lined up for the final field goal attempt in Cleveland, it was fourth and five. But then after a five-yard penalty on the Browns, why was it fourth and one instead of a first down? Uh, okay, well, this is how it, it works. Um, you know, for, and for the purposes of uh, the league's official play-by-play, for the announcers on the scoreboard and announcements for the fans and all that stuff, you know, the, the, the down and distance or the distance is rounded off, you know? So a lot of times it's um, second and nine and three quarters, Mm -hmm. but for the purpose purposes, excuse me, of explaining that, communicating that it'll just be announced as second and nine or posted on the scoreboard as second and nine. Okay, so that's that's uh, likely what happened in the situation that Ronald is describing. It was called second and five on, or excuse me, fourth and five on TV, on the broadcast. It was posted as fourth and five uh, on the little crawl on the bottom. It was prob- probably posted as fourth and five on the scoreboard of First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. But then a five-yard penalty is marked off as a five-yard penalty. Now, they don't get the sticks out, you know, or the yard, uh, the a ruler or anything. But, you know, you can see based on where the ball is in between the yard markers there, um, if it's short of whatever yard line it is, when you move it five yards forward, it's short of whatever that next yard line is as well. So... It was probably like fourth and a half, fourth and five and a half, mm-hmm. or fourth and five and three quarters, or whatever. And so, when they moved it five yards, it's still not a first down. And so, rather than say it's fourth and three inches, hmm. again for the same reasons that I previously explained, they just referred to it as fourth and one. And thank God for that, because no one needs fractions or decimals when they're trying to watch their football game. Well, yeah, especially keep it as simple as possible. Co- 
Yeah, because your middle school teacher called me and said you were no good at fractions. Oh, so bad at fractions labs. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're in radio. Common denominators. Ugh, I just have no idea about them at all. That'll do it for this edition of Ask That Answered. Always appreciate you guys giving us a listen. Get your questions into labs now, and maybe you'll hear them read on next week's edition. He's Bob Labriola. I'm Tom Opferman, and this has been Ask That Answered. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.